As I laid out this series a few months ago, I didn't really give much thought to the 4th of July being at the end of this series, which is why this message might be more timely than I could have anticipated. As we celebrate the 4th of July and Independence Day today, uh, this is actually a good juxtaposition of the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. That the 4th of July reminds us of our nation's declared independence from Great Britain. However, in the same breath, we also must acknowledge that the first Independence Day did not allow everyone in America to be free. We had legalized slavery for several more decades, on top of more than two centuries worth of mistreatment and racism in our country. In fact, there are still people today being mistreated, uh, and really around the world, who are trapped in human trafficking. Now, that doesn't mean we can't safely celebrate this holiday and celebrate the pursuit of freedom this weekend. Rather, I think this should remind all of us of the same thing I think Jesus will remind us of today. We're concluding this series called You're Not Far with Part 8 today. And this is a story that should have died in Nero's Rome, but it didn't. It's the story of Jesus of Nazareth as told by Simon Peter, who dictated it to and was edited by John Mark. Uh, Peter's account of the life of Jesus comes to us as the Gospel of Mark, because Mark helped edit and document it. Now, this eventually was sort of put together with other letters from Paul and Peter and James and documents from the life of Jesus from Matthew, Luke, and John and, and added to the Jewish scriptures and comes to us as the Bible. But Mark wasn't writing the Bible. Mark was documenting Peter's experience with Jesus. And Peter tells us through Mark of a theme from Jesus. And this theme shows up uh, first in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. And that's been the focus of this series. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Now, something new has come to earth, basically, is what they're saying, which you are never far from. But also, as soon as Jesus said this, it probably immediately brought to mind, for his Jewish audience, it brought to mind politics and a kingdom of Israel, which, as we'll see in this story, and even as we think today, we, we think the kingdoms of this world can sort of be blended into the kingdom of God. But as Jesus would say, repent and believe, the good news. That basically this meant to sort of turn and adjust and sort of face this extraordinary new worldview, to face this new set of values and embrace this because you and I are invited to participate in it. Now again, there were several important adjustments about this kingdom of God that made it actually good news. Number one, the kingdom of God is different from the kingdoms of this world. Because while the kingdoms of this world may seem different from each other, in reality they all tend to drift toward the same principles that those with money and power have power, that those without money or power are sort of left out. And who needs another kingdom like that? But Jesus came to establish a new kingdom that sort of reversed the order of things and was an upside down kingdom. And Jesus would say, if you wanna know what the kingdom of God is like, keep your eyes on me. Uh, number two, Jesus came to remove all the obstacles to the kingdom of God. And this included our sin, but it also included imperial power and dominance. This included our selfishness, but it also included the authorities that kept people as commodities to be bought and sold. That Jesus came to remove all the obstacles because, number three, everyone is invited to participate in the kingdom of God. That the arrival of Jesus was good news for everyone. That the arrival of Jesus was good news for people who felt far from God. The arrival of Jesus was good news for people who didn't have any power, any status, any money, or authority in the kingdoms of this world. That everyone, regardless of nationality, ethnicity, gender, or shameful backgrounds, everyone is invited to participate in the kingdom of God. 
So if your version of the kingdom of God and the good news of Jesus is not actually good news for everyone, if it's sort of limited to a specific group of people, or maybe doesn't include these adjustments that I just shared, maybe you should take seriously Jesus' idea to repent and allow God to sort of adjust your thinking. Uh, Previously on You're Not Far, Jesus and his disciples have sort of made their way from the north near the Sea of Galilee, south down into Judea, and eventually into the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus spends about a week in the city of Jerusalem, basically just disturbing the peace. And the disciples were hoping that once they got in Jerusalem, that they would make friends with the religious leaders because they thought they needed them as friends if Jesus was actually going to proclaim and declare himself king. But instead, Jesus would go into the temple day after day saying strange things and frustrating the Jewish religious leaders who were actually trying to trap Jesus as well. And finally, Jesus gathers with his closest followers for a Passover meal. And the the followers probably assume this is going to be the big reveal. Like Jesus is going to establish himself as the king and establish this brand new kingdom. Well, Jesus would reveal something, all right, but it was definitely not at all what they expected. Mark chapter 14, verse 22. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, this is, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. That Jesus basically made this Jewish, religious, and national holiday really all about himself. And they were probably thinking that this covenant or agreement between God and humanity, well, that sounds all right, but what about this kingdom that you were going to establish? We thought you were the king. And as it turns out, there was not a kingdom, at least not a kingdom as they thought of the kingdoms of this earth. And they leave that room, go to a garden, and then Judas shows up with the temple soldiers to arrest Jesus. And Peter tells us that when Jesus was arrested, that everyone, including Peter, that all his disciples deserted him and ran away. Now, this was understandable because this whole thing seemed to be over. Like, Jesus was clearly no king because kings and messiahs don't get arrested. And apparently, in spite of what Jesus had taught, the kingdom of God was not near, and God certainly was not near either. But the reality was that God was especially near, as they would soon realize later. But the problem was that their expectations for this kingdom of God were quite different from what Jesus had in mind and involved different priorities than what Jesus was dem- seemed to be demonstrating. They were forgetting the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. But the story isn't over yet. Peter gives us some details about what happens next at Jesus' trials. Now, you might be wondering, how would Peter know what was said in these private conversations between Jesus and the high priests, the Pharisees, and the other teachers of the law? Well, later on, some of the very same men who prosecuted Jesus and some of the very same Pharisees that tried to trap Jesus with his own words, later they would actually become Jesus, his closest followers. In fact, in the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, some of these same men show up in the story and they're Jesus followers, to which we should all ask the question and think about, how in the world is it that some of the same men who were responsible for having Jesus arrested, tried, and ultimately crucified, how is it that they became followers of Jesus? Now, here's what Peter records for us about what happened to Jesus after he was arrested in the garden. And today we're going to be starting in Mark chapter 14. You can follow along in the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner, select events, and you can find our church. We also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. 
Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest's home, where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Now, unfortunately, these groups are similar to modern politicians who really can't get along until they find a common foe. And these groups previously couldn't get along, but now Jesus is their common foe. And Peter tells us, Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Verse 60, Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Now this just drives them crazy because these were some of the most powerful men in the city. These were the most powerful men in the nation. And when they walked through a crowd, the crowd sort of parted and they were usually so respected. And so to find this Nazarene day laborer who would, who would not give them the respect they thought they deserved, and he, he wouldn't even answer their questions. They just didn't know what to do with Jesus. But again, Jesus was working from a different perspective, from a different kingdom viewpoint. And then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Now this was actually an incredibly significant moment in history because Jesus' destiny hung in the balance of his answer to really his answer to this question. Not only did Jesus' destiny rest, rest in the balance of his answer to this question, but Peter's destiny as well. And, and not only Jesus' destiny, Peter's destiny, but our destinies as well. Jesus said, I am. And with that response, he condemned himself with his own words. And then the high priest tore his clo clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. And then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Now, if we can pause in this moment and not allow this just to be something that we read, but if we can pause if we can realize how truly horrible this was, that for maybe a half an hour, or maybe more than an hour, they basically just beat Jesus with their pent-up rage and anger, and they were seeking revenge for all the humiliation that they had faced because of how Jesus used their own words and traps against him. Prophecy to us, they jeered, and the guards slapped him as they took him away. Now, before Peter tells us the next part, I think Peter includes this next part, so that we know how far and wide the grace and mercy of our Heavenly Father is. He includes this part so that we understand that God, that God is really like Jesus. The mercy and grace that Peter received from his Rabbi Jesus is the same mercy and grace of God, because Peter did the unthinkable. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, This man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them because you are a Galilean. And basically, they recognized Peter by his accent. And Peter swore, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And suddenly Jesus' words sort of flashed through Peter's mind. 
before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter remembered Jesus' words that, that predicted that Peter would do this very thing. And Peter tells us, and he broke down and wept. Because not only did Peter deny Jesus, abandoning Jesus in his greatest time of need, Peter slipped back into living according to the patterns and the principles of the kingdoms of this world by looking out for himself instead of looking out for others. He was following the kingdoms of this world rather than following the king that he had been following for years. And yet, the kingdom of God is still open to Peter, just by the very fact that Peter would spend the rest of his life telling the story of Jesus, including this account through Mark. Uh, Jesus was then taken to Pilate, and as you may know, the Jewish religious leaders had to take Jesus to Pilate because the Jews didn't have the authority to execute anyone. And this was another reminder that they did not have control, even over their own judicial system, because they were under the Roman Empire's control. Now, Pilate, the Roman governor, he loved these moments when the Jews had to come to him for a favor. So, they take Jesus to Pilate to get permission to have him executed. Mark chapter 15, verse 3. Then the leading priest kept accusing Jesus of many crimes. And Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer to them? Aren't you going to answer them? What about these, all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. And Pilate was surprised because this was the moment when most people in this situation would drop to their knees begging for mercy. And not likely to be released, but for a merciful quick death. And Jesus said nothing. Now, Pilate knows that Jesus hasn't done anything worthy of death, and so after further discussion with the crowd, Pilate takes Jesus to be flogged, thinking that would be enough for the people. But it's not. They want him dead. Verse 12, Pilate asks them, Then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? Like, he may die after that flogging because that flogging was so severe. And he asks them what to do with the king of the Jews, which was really a jab at Jesus, who announced that he was establishing the kingdom of God. But it was also a jab at the religious leaders who didn't consider Jesus their king. And also this demonstrates again that people, including Pilate, who is a leader in the kingdoms of this world, they didn't understand the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. Verse 13, they shouted back, crucify him. And then they led him away to be crucified. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. And then they said something that they had no idea how significant this statement really was. And it was really an ultimate example of how different the kingdom of God was compared to the thinking in the kingdoms of this world. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. See, the people following the kingdoms of this world, they don't understand that freedom isn't about how you save yourself or how you use it to save yourself. These people are indicating that they don't think Jesus should have used his freedom, his resources, his power to save others, but he should have used that freedom, resource, and power to save himself. And they didn't understand that when you use your freedom to serve others, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And with the advantage of hindsight, Peter would actually sort of understand that Jesus' desire to save others was exactly why he didn't save himself. That Jesus' desire to save me was exactly why he didn't save himself. And Jesus' desire to save you was exactly why he didn't save himself. That this is indeed good news, but this might not be seen as good news by all people, including some in our nation today. 
And in Jesus' time, just like today, this good news was simple, but it was also difficult to comprehend because it ran contrary to the ways of this world. It was an upside-down perspective. And Paul would later expand on this difference between the kingdom of God and the, compared to the kingdoms of this world, especially including this kingdom where we live in today. And, and Paul was actually a perfect example because before becoming a Jesus follower, Paul was trying to live according to the kingdoms of this world, the ethics, the standards, the worldviews of the kingdoms of this world. But then Jesus sort of radically changed his life and how he saw things like freedom completely changed. Uh, Paul said this, with Jesus dying on a cross as an obvious example in his mind. Galatians chapter 5, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And by using his freedom to serve others, Jesus actually brought life to everyone. By dying for everyone, Jesus actually gave life to everyone. And that life is an invitation from Jesus to participate in the kingdom of God. That when you use your freedom to serve others, you're not far from the kingdom of God.